Yo, 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 Chad. We're back. I feel like this is evergreen, so no matter when you're listening, this will be a good uh, intro, but the Wolves lost recently, and they've been struggling. We don't even need to say who they lost to or when they lost, so that anybody listening in any year at any time will will understand this, and it'll it'll fit, and they'll feel like we're speaking directly to them. Hopefully that's the turnaround now. They just go on this ridiculous dynasty run. That was the reverse jinx right there, that comment. <laughs> April and Noah will be laughing at that. It's Absolutely. Like, they ended up with only 10 losses that year. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> NBA champions, 6-2 and 10. So that's hope. That's hope I have that type of power. The mysticism in the universe is feeding through me right now in my reverse jinx of the Minnesota Timberwolves. But, uh, but yeah, we're back. We're here for another historical episode. When we left you last time, it was 1987. The Timberwolves had just been granted a, a franchise. Minnesota was just going to be starting their, their process of putting together their their uh their staff so then we we came back we talked about the hiring of billy mckinney and uh bill musselman as the two two decision makers in the franchise and now uh we're finally getting to it it's 1989 we're getting closer to some real decisions having to be made by the franchise we got a we have an expansion draft coming up we're going to add some players that way and a rookie draft so uh, they had their work cut out for them they spent all of 88 and 89 uh, out scouting not only rookies but nba games as well trying to figure out uh, how what system they're going to put in place? What type of players are out there and available? Um, and now they're they're going to put the rubber to the road here, Chad. It's uh it's getting down to it. Yeah, and the expansion draft has a couple fairly big names in it. You know, Reggie Theus. Um, you got Scott Skiles. Um, you have Steve Johnson, who's a recent All Star. So you have a couple fairly big names. I mean, mm-hmm. we haven't we haven't seen an expansion draft in a long time, so it's hard to kind of compare it to anything recent because it's just you know we haven't had any new teams but interesting names on the list yeah definitely and i mean more relevant to today's time did you see adam silver's comments that expansion while isn't it isn't imminent has been a topic of conversation again recently i have yeah so it you know we could be seeing this play out very soon and you know in a weird way it would make sense for them to do an expansion draft or add an expansion team in the nba in terms of they're going to have more players on the rosters this year because of covid Mm -hmm. so there are going to be more quality guys people that teams are going to have some film on to make picks and and make informed decisions on those players Um, obviously financially it probably doesn't make any sense because you know the league's not making any money with ticket sales or anything like that right now so i'm sure it's not going to happen but in a weird way you know from a talent perspective this would be a prime time because you're going to have more guys that you're going to have more film on and playing actual NBA games and not just trying to evaluate, you know, how good Anthony Edwards was with a bunch of scrubs on a team in a D1 college. You're going to be able to see what some of these guys might do. Like a Jaden McDaniel, maybe he would be left exposed or somebody like that. See some film on him. Yeah, absolutely. If the Timberwolves are only able to protect eight players, it would be very interesting to see what decisions they type, they make. Right. It'd be tough. We, we can't even make a decision to keep a Rondé Hollis Jefferson around, so I don't know how they would... I don't know who would be on that list. That, no. That'd be a fun exercise to do another time. Yeah, we'll have to work that into a future episode, see if we can come up with who they'd protect. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so back to 1989. We're, we're coming up through the, the spring and summer. Uh, they're, you know, the guys are going around, Musselman and McKinney. They're, they're getting asked about their thoughts on, on roster building and what they think they're going to come out of the expansion draft with, who they're targeting for uh, the rookies. And uh, Musselman actually had an interview, which was very interesting, uh, that I was reading through. And he said that... It, the roster is going to be made up of players from different sources, uh, and which totally makes sense. But he he mentioned the college draft and the expansion draft. He also mentioned 
uh, free agents, both professional free agents and undrafted free agents, um, and then players from Europe, because at the time there were lots of Americans playing over in Europe due to the, the limited roster sizes in the U.S. So, um, And an, one of the points that he made was for undrafted free agents, which were going to be very important to their team, um, the Timberwolves and the Magic were able to come in without any guaranteed uh, roster spots for anybody on the team that had been coming over from the year before. So undrafted free agents it should be more inclined to want to come into training camp with them and compete for a spot since they, they might have a better chance of making the team. Well, as I say, and that bore out to be true. Like all, we ended up filling the team with guys from all of those mm-hmm. scenarios that must point it out. So, yeah, I mean, he said they needed to nail the, the two uh, rookie draft picks, find three or four undrafted free agents and then have four or five of the players from the expansion draft stick with the team and then find one or two players from Europe, which as we move forward is going to, kind of almost come to perfect fruition for how they put this team together, which is going to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, he also said that the first pick doesn't have to be a superstar. I mean, they, they were going to get either the 10th or 11th pick uh, in, in the rookie draft, so you're not looking for a superstar normally at that pick. Um, but multiple quotes throughout the, the this whole process just reminded everybody that Muslim and McKinney were just looking for somebody solid with that pick. They wanted somebody who was going to play the system. They wanted somebody who was going to be around in their eight-man rotation for eight years and just kind of be a good team player who was going to put in the work and put in the effort. So they weren't they weren't swinging for the fences. There was no Zach Levine. There was no Jaden McDaniels being, being thrown out by these two guys. That wasn't who they were looking for, but um, they were very much interested in just finding a good, solid player with that, with that first pick. Yeah, and kind of figuring out the way uh, working together you know they're very different personalities as we covered last time mm-hmm. and just kind of trying to figure out each other's role who is going to be sort of the lead voice in the room um, which we'll soon find out as well um, so I'm sure kind of a interesting time because you don't really have anything on paper yet you know leading up to this point yeah and you're just sort of a bunch of hypotheticals on a probably on a chalkboard somewhere um, on, on what your team might look like yeah, and the only other thing I found that was really noteworthy before they, they really started this process in the offseason was that during the 89 All-Star break, there was a report that the Wolves had been offered Mark Aguirre from Dallas for future picks. And Mark Aguirre at the time was a good scorer. He was a you know quality player that people had heard about. He averaged 29.5 points in the 83-84 season, um, but he was just a headache, and they, there was even one report saying that the only player that talked to him left on his current team was the rookie who hadn't learned any better yet. So, it, and but that wasn't it. That wasn't so much the the interesting part to me was how were they going to trade for a player? They didn't have a team playing in the league at that time. What was going to happen to Mark Aguirre if he got if the Wolves had agreed to trade future picks for him at the '89 All Star break? Yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't read that story, and that I mean everything you said about Aguirre is. I agree wholeheartedly on it. It would have been a headache. It would have been actually probably a lot of fun to watch how it uh, worked out with Musselman between, yeah. between those two. Um, but the, the Wolves made a trade, or at least a promise to kind of a trade. They promised to select a guy in the expansion draft. Right. So there in were. In exchange for a pick. So th- there must have been a little bit. Well, that was during the offseason, though. So that made sense. Sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, the the Aguirre one, I just I didn't really get it. I, I didn't know how that would work. If I, right now, I'm yeah, very interested. Sit in, out. Yeah. yeah, would he sit out the rest of the I year? I wish they would have done it, just so we would have known what happens to a player if they get traded to a non-existent team. Yeah. So, but yeah, he eventually got traded for Adrian Dantley in a first-round pick, and never averaged more than 14 points a game for the rest of his career, and was out of the league by '94. But um, so, I mean, I don't blame them for not having made the deal. But 
but goodness, that would that was just like what would have happened? That would have been so cool. But yeah, all right. So we're we're coming up rookie draft uh, prospects are the the college season's coming to a close. It's March. Um, entering the that college season, the top players had looked to be Stacy King, Purvis Ellison, Sean Elliott, Danny Ferry, and Glenn Rice, and those were kind of in that order. The season played out. Allison started to slide. Uh, people didn't know if they could trust him as much. Ferry seemed to be rising because of his good play with Duke. People were starting to wonder what would happen if Washington got the first pick because Ferry's uh, dad, Bob Ferry, was actually the GM there. So people didn't know if he would be kind of forced to, to pick Ferry with that first pick. But yeah, and then there were some underclassmen like J.R. Reed, Dwayne Chinsling, Derek Coleman, uh, who weren't quite people weren't quite certain if they were going to enter the draft, if they were going to uh, commit to, to going in as an underclassman um, because it just wasn't quite the thing that happened at that time. But, um, but yeah, it was a, kind of a good, a good crop of players. And then one thing that I found was that there was, it was a good draft for small guards, but none of them were deemed to make a, an immediate impact. So quite a few recognizable names. Not all of them totally panned out, but at least in March, it was looking like it was going to be a very interesting rookie draft coming in for those Timberwolves for that first year. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't no, you were you're, you're a couple years younger than I am, so I don't know what your memories are of that, or if you even have any. Um, but that was around the time I started collecting basketball cards, mm-hmm. and I remember the Danny Ferry rookie card, the hoops rookie card. <laughs> yeah. He had like a green sweater on. He's not even wearing a uniform. He's just sitting on the steps, probably on campus somewhere. Yep. And I remember that was like the card all our whole group, but we all wanted it because you know he was the number two pick. It didn't look like a normal rookie card because he wasn't wearing a uniform. Mm-hmm. And um, so, anyway, man, kinda... <laughs> hoops box sets were uh, so cheap and so available, yet they really made you feel like you had a good collection going. They did, and that the little stars on the corner with rookie. You know, I still, I probably still have a handful of those mm-hmm. because um, I carried my collection got smaller over the years just because as you move, you don't you throw things out but oh, i have all my basketball cards they're like in two separate boxes i need to go through them sometime i have a lot but i mean i don't i'm sure i threw out a lot of those hoops like the danny fairy yeah inside. right i'm trading sure those no yeah i think mine are just like back to back in a box they're not in sleeves or anything just kind of moving around ship from one place to another but I, I i can almost guarantee i don't have anything worth more than like 10 bucks but well it's surprising my I, you know i have a brother who collects cards and he uh he a couple months ago he was sh- showing me ebay listings for some of these guys mm-hmm. they're ridiculously expensive now and i have a 12 year old son and you know we just passed christmas here i tried to find basketball cards for him for christmas a regular pack just a pack you would get in the candy aisle at the grocery store when you're a kid they're going for 39 40 dollars yeah a pack because of the, because, the potential yeah yeah it's just you know partly zion partly covid related because people are collecting more there's there's all these apps and, and companies now that started like these mm-hmm. sort of auction houses for cards. So the, the industry's back, but um, the hoops, the 1989-90 hoops cards are not no. really <laughs> <laughs> returning any value. <laughs> no, damn it. <laughs> the one time that I was buying cards, but uh, they had to be the most prevalent ever and just multi- mass-produced. But You still, I when I stop at a card shop every now and then with my son, you still see those boxes of hoops yeah. from that era you know maybe one or two years after that as well but that's probably the most common box you still like I've, in fact i'm pretty sure my son bought one of those boxes a year or two ago because it was like six dollars for a whole box yeah you just get to open pack upon pack yep 
looking uh, for uh, at, at the time eight nine year old that, that was money yeah i mean i tell this story all the time so i grew up in new hope robinsdale cooper high school baby Woo-woo! but um we used to bike over to the shinders and crystal and it would be a maybe a 10 mile bike ride but we'd, we'd hop on our bikes we'd head over we'd save our lawn mowing money and we'd go buy some basketball cars and i remember years upon years growing up they had one michael jordan rookie card hanging in the behind the the locked case it was eight hundred dollars and as a <laughs> 11 12 13 year old i always said to myself when i have eight hundred dollars i'm gonna buy that michael jordan rookie card and then all of a sudden i'm 15 i have a job and the last thing that was on my mind for being a priority for the first eight hundred dollars i had was buying a basketball card so of course well, I, n- I never went and bought it but yeah at fifteen, eight hundred dollars might as well be a million. Right? Yeah, that's a lot, that's a lot of hours. It really and, uh, is. At, at Cub Foods, years. yeah, yeah, right. So the soul sucking work of being a cashier at a, a grocery store. I take my hat off to everybody that's still doing it because it is kind of the worst. They have that down to a science, man, of just making sure that they always have one less cashier than you than they actually need. So right. That, so right. that the line is never gone. Well, well, now it's just no cashiers. You just self checkout. Everything's self checkout. So. It, it really is. You know, I, I used to try to play a game with myself. I'd have like my five and a half hour shift and I'd be like, by the end of my shift, once I'm going to get this line down to zero people. And it just would never happen. I could never do it. I'm like, I'm going to go as fast as I can. <laughs> but, I worked at Target as one of my first jobs. Yeah. So they, uh, they they kept me in the back with the other ruffians mm-hmm. un- unloading the truck. They rarely had me up at the cashier <laughs> doing anything. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So we're we're getting off track, but we're to bring it back. Uh, so McKinney is sending out a, a newsletter at this time, and he he mentions John Hammonds and Sherman Douglas as two players that... Uh, a microwave. Right, yeah. Players that they're interested in. And at first I was like, isn't that tampering? But I was like, no, it's not. Like the Timberwolves now on Instagram just throw up like draft profiles, you know, so that kind of thing. So, right. So it, it was probably totally legal at the time, and I'm sure the rules have even changed since then to be a little bit more restrictive. But, but yeah, he's just putting out names in his newsletter. He's sending out to future season ticket holders and whatnot. And uh, then he was also quoted saying that um, if they got the choice, because there's going to be a coin flip to determine this, if they got the choice that they wanted to have the first, the 10th pick in the rookie draft instead of the 11th, um, because they were going to do a coin flip with Orlando and whichever team got to choose either the first pick in the expansion draft or the 10th pick in the rookie draft. So uh, Minnesota from all the way back in March is saying they want the first pick in the rookie draft because they don't, think they're going to get any future long-term players in the expansion draft but the the rookie draft will be where a star might be available so um so that that'll come into play later um and did they know ahead of that t- draft or pick selection time which players were going to be left available in the expansion draft? no they they were months away from having any idea okay so nope they just knew that whoever was left available there was most likely not going to be the chance of sure. getting somebody that was going to be on the team for six seven years down the road so um like I said, they wanted a rookie that was going to be on the team for eight years, and it didn't exactly work out that way. And when has it ever for the Timberwolves? But, um, but yeah, that was kind of their goal at the time. So, so they they were on the on the record for saying that they wanted that that first rookie draft pick instead of the first expansion draft pick. So give them credit there because that'll come back into play later. So at the time, the average NBA salary is six hundred twenty five thousand dollars, which I thought was kind of interesting, um, as opposed to what it is today. And the the overall salary cap was seven point two three two million. Um, a kind of a one fifteenth of what it is now with the way that the league has exploded. But, um, but yeah, the, the Timberwolves and the magic were going to be restricted to 4.4, uh, or sorry, $4.7 million as their cap 
for their first year, which was almost three million dollars less than the overall salary cap, about two and a half million dollars left less than the salary cap for other teams. Um, and that sounds kind of restrictive. It sounds it doesn't quite make sense why an expansion team would have a lower salary cap than other teams. But according to multiple quotes, even with Miami and Charlotte having been expansion teams the year before, um, they were quoted multiple times saying it was really hard to even get to the minimum. Yeah, I can't imagine because you're not going to you're not going to take a guy that's got a bunch of salary left mm-hmm. that's older. Like say in the expansion draft, like we didn't even you know value those picks as much as a rookie draft. So you're not going to get any high price guys there. You're not going to get any high price guys. The rookie salaries were sort of set. I mean, at least you knew a rough range of what they would be at. And anybody else you got off the street wasn't going to be a high price guy. So I I can see that where that wasn't going to be a like Miami found that it was going to be harder to get to the minimum than it would be of surpassing the maximum. Yeah. You know, and one of the ma- the guys that was rumored around for a while before the expansion draft that could have possibly been available as Randy Brewer because of the, the Minnesota connections. Um, he was in Milwaukee at the time and he was actually riding the bench quite a bit. And they were wondering if they would make him available since they weren't using him. He wasn't able to play the way that they really wanted to play. But um, one of the things that kept getting thrown out there for why, even if he was left available, nobody would, would take him is he had a, mil- a million dollar salary. Just the the fact that they had to think about that and deal with that with all of the different selections that they made through that expansion draft and make sure nobody's going to take up too much of the cap and guys could get left unprotected even if they were solid players with the the hope that team, the expansion teams wouldn't take them if they had a hard high enough hat cap hit was was just kind of an interesting wrinkle as I looked through all, all of this. And eventually they pull a Rosas and get Brewer anyway. So <laughs> Right, yeah. They, they identify their guy and they, they bring him in a couple years later, but... But yeah, so McKinney is back in the news. April 20th, we're getting closer. We, we're trying to get to the end of June here, but uh, he's he's predicting that Ferry, Elliot, Ellison, Rice, and King will all be gone because they're just kind of locked in as the top five, you know, at least in terms of the, the mock drafts and whatnot going on at that point. Um, he's hoping that J.R. Reed and Derek Coleman will declare for the draft because just the more good players there are, the more players are potentially moving down to number 10. Um he he openly says that they won't be taking a center at number ten because all of the good ones will be gone and the best one left will be Gary Leonard and he would he's like I'm not going to take a guy like Gary Leonard at number ten so it's just it was interesting to to hear him openly talking about like yeah this guy will probably be left but I'm not going to take him you know? <laughs> we don't want him <laughs> yeah so I was like oh, I don't know. you don't hear that a lot these days there's too much PR happening with agents but uh right but uh yeah so. They, then they have some pre-draft tournaments in Portsmouth and Orlando. Um, I think the Portsmouth Invitational is still a, a thing that happens today. It's kind of for college seniors, um, which, as you can imagine now, isn't very widely publicized, and it doesn't even have a lot of big names because very few players actually stay through all four years of college. But sure. at the time, those were kind of the, the big tournaments. They were they were all there, you know, and um, different guys were mentioned as having, you know, played you know well there and improved their stock, including Pooh Richardson. Um, and, uh, but one of the guys who actually chose not to go, which significantly, I think hurt his stock from all the reports that I read was Mookie Blaylock. He chose not to go and compete in these pre-draft camps. And it was one of the main reasons why he, he actually slipped in the draft from where he had been projected to go. Interesting. And, and Mookie's always one of the guys that I, I ranked slightly above Pooh, um, in terms of what they, their careers ended up being. Mm-hmm. I never saw anything where the Wolves were actually interested in him until recently when I was researching for this. I did see one article where he his name was just sort of thrown on the list of guys we would consider with 
Pooh Richardson and Tim Hardaway. So I, there must have been leaks that we were looking for a point guard with that 10th pick or, you know, maybe part of the same conversations where Musselman was saying that he wasn't going to take a center there he because he probably knew there was going to be several point guards that were worth taking at 10 that were going to still be there. So um, that's the only place I ever saw that they actually mentioned Mookie Blaylock as a potential landing spot here. Otherwise, the only guys you ever heard were were Tim Hardaway and Pooh Richardson. Right, and Hardaway gets a lot of traction near the end. Um, he actually came in for an interview, but uh, and there were a couple articles right before the, the draft saying that he was one of the favored players for the Timberwolves. And as we noticed in our research of Bill Musselman and uh, Billy McKinney, that they actually had differing viewpoints on those two players. And we'll get more into that as we get closer to the draft here, but, but it's very interesting that we're trying to figure out this time who's going to be the larger voice in the room, and it really sounded like... Uh, it was Musselman, but McKinney actually ends up winning out on this, this selection. Right, right. And maybe that's why McKinney's voice was discounted later, was because he advocated for Pooh. Mm-hmm. Tim Hardaway was the superior player, so maybe, you know, ownership and stuff said, eh, maybe Musselman knows a little bit more about this, you know, whether fair or not. I, I don't know that it was completely fair, but who knows what if that played into McKinney's sort of eventual downfall with Minnesota. Yeah. You know, and there were, so you mentioned earlier that the Timberwolves ended up making a trade during the expansion draft to not select a player. And there were, there were lots of rumors about different teams offering deals around like that before the actual, actual expansion draft showed up. Like Sacramento at the time was trying to offer up a second round pick for teams to not take Vinny Del Negro. And it was like, that, that was a good selection. It was a good call to not, yeah. not want Vinny. He was a rookie after that season and they, they saw some promise in him. He had played well near the end of the year. So I was like, I don't know how he's not going to be one of your top eight players, but but sure, offer up a second-round pick, see if, they, see if they'll take somebody else. And um, that didn't end up happening, and they actually ended up protecting Del Negro overall and getting him into the top eight. Um, and they ended up losing somebody else that they had hoped to keep. But Another scenario that would have been fun to play out, say they give the Wolves a second-round pick to not take Del Negro, and then they take Del Negro. Like, are you just on your word there? Like, well, you know, no, what? I think you were allowed to actually make official trades. Like, it was a, okay. a real deal, but... But yeah, I don't know like what the paperwork looked like or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, it seems weird. You're like saying, well, we'll give you a second round pick. We're going to leave him unprotected then, but you can't take him. Mm-hmm. Like why the league would allow, you know, to leave him unprotected just seems kind of, seems like a weird scenario. Yeah, it really did. Um, so they're getting closer to, to both of these events. J.R. Reed does declare for the draft, but Coleman and Shinsling decide to stay in college. So the, the, the pool isn't as, as deep as kind of, I think they were kind of hoping for, um, we lost a couple of players there, but I don't know if I don't know who Shinsling is, so I don't think that made a, a huge difference at the time, and not a bad thing that the Wolves didn't end up with him. Um, and then one extra player wouldn't have pushed anybody down that would have made a gigantic difference for the Wolves. They probably still would have gone with Pooh anyway. But, um, but yeah. and an inter- interesting draft overall. We had you know the top couple picks were turned out to be bust, but then you have guys that go late, like who are really the best players in that draft, like Sean Kemp or mm-hmm. Clifford Robinson, or Lottie Devox, all guys that were selected late um, that ended up being you know, worthy of a number one pick and were you know not selected that high. And it was also the first draft to be two rounds. You know, the, yep. the draft before was um, was much longer, so or a round longer. So it's it's kind of a uh, kind of interesting. That was the first modern draft because now it's been that in that format ever since. Yeah, for over thirty years now, and. It's funny you should mention Sean Kemp because the next bullet I had was that Bill Ward, who was writing for the strip at the time, mentioned Sean Kemp as a as a sleeper to keep your eye on 
for for teams looking for for good draft picks and Sean Kemp was very much an outlier because he had been in college for a year but hadn't been allowed to play back college basketball and he was and just really gonna, yeah he really had no experience in college ball and he nobody knew what to make of him yeah and I just watched the um the Rain Man and the Glove documentary on NBA mm-hmm. TV and yeah Sean Kemp's you know because of, due to grades and some eligibility issues like I believe he went to Kentucky originally, but then was ineligible, so he left. And then was they convinced him to play community college. Um, so he, yeah, he was he was like uh, coming out of high school, uh, top prospect. Yeah, he because of his eligibility within you know college and something not playing much, his draft stock you know fell because of it. Yeah, it, it would. I mean, obviously we've all seen Sean Kemp. We know what he ended up doing. So if he had been allowed to play in college, it would have just been. A terror there but just kind of crazy that he was not a directly from high school player kind of like Kevin Garnett Garnett was the one that ended up breaking that that barrier but he was very close you know you didn't play college ball and he was one of the first and in a he, long time to do that and he almost went right out of high school he yeah. said in the documentary that was just, just done recently that he he had several people trying to convince him to just go and he's like it was a big risk because nobody had done it in a couple decades yeah you know, since so he's was apprehensive to doing it and obviously ended up not doing it and thought that he could at least build up a stock a little bit more by just going to a community college and playing. But, um, you know, you wonder like if had he gone straight from high school, would he have been picking higher? Probably not back then. No, they had um, no idea how to even rate that. So he probably did the right thing. Mm-hmm. He may, you know, he may have hurt his draft stock even worse. Well, I mean, in terms of not even being able to know how to rate that, it, the draft has changed so much and that another player that ends up popping up in this draft is Vade Divac. And he was mentioned by a lot of teams. The Timberwolves actually went out to scout him in, in Europe and they were quoted near the draft saying that there was no chance that they're going to end up taking him because they just, they didn't want to have to work with the tower of Babel, which I think is what McKinney said. Like they just, they didn't want to be geniuses and having to understand multiple languages and having to run a team. And, just even the thought process of handling different types of players, you know, even different nationalities, different languages, not getting guys who had been in college three, four years and coming into a, a system with the way that they knew how to run it was just unheard of to some of these to, to some of these guys. And it was just a whole new, a whole different world from what we're used to these days. Right, right. Yeah, there wasn't, you didn't have that foreign contingent yet that of, of uh, where it became like the trendy thing where people are reaching all over the place to mm-hmm. take foreign guys just to get a foreign guy. <laughs> which wasn't that much longer, four or five, six years later. Yeah, you know. it became a big thing. I mean, it especially became a big thing after Dirk blew up. Um, Ooh, everybody was for looking sure. for the new Dirk. But yeah, but yeah, it was just, there were some definitely some big talents in this draft. If a team in the lottery had walked away with Sean Kemp or Vlade Divac, it would have made a big difference than against a lot of the players that they did actually end up getting. But um, but another trade that was offered was the Bucks offered a deal to protect Fred Roberts. Um I don't know if that paid off for them. I don't know if Fred Roberts ended up making a big deal for the Milwaukee or big uh, difference for the Milwaukee Bucks. But um, so we're, we're moving our way into June here. It's actually going to be the month of, of both drafts. It's uh, June sixth was when the protection lists were due for all teams except for the Pistons and the Lakers, who are going to be playing in the finals. They didn't have to turn in their lists until after they were actually done playing. But um, and then the the Heat and the the, the Hornets didn't have to protect any but any any players because they they weren't eligible to have players stolen in the expansion draft since they had just been expansion teams the year before. Um, but lists are coming out now. People are go- are starting to 
uh, try to figure out who might be left on who might be left available. Um, there are some rumors flying around. Vinny Johnson's in Detroit. They're wondering if he's going to be available. Uh, Kenny Walker from the Knicks, recent slam dunk champion. Uh, Tim Perry, who was the top pick in 1988, uh, or the, sorry, the seventh pick in 1988. Uh, Dennis Johnson, Jim Paxson, Steve Alford, Reggie Theus, Daryl Griffith, all, all players that are just names that are being bandied about as potential players being left out there. And um, right at this point, lots of, lots of debate happening over whether or not teams should be going uh, young and trying to build for the future or trying to get as many veterans as possible to be as competitive as possible right away. So I think the Wolves are saying they're going to try to do both, which I guess is always kind of the safe answer. But um, but yeah, some of these high-priced veterans, veteran names, as we talked about, getting kind of bandied about as to whether or not they're going to be protected due to their high salaries and the risk of leaving them out there. Yeah, and, and there you know, it wasn't like there's any franchise makers on the list of what they ended up having to choose from. Um, you had a couple guys, which you know, obviously Rick Mahorn was the big big name in that group coming off the the finals appearance. Um, but you had Reggie Theus, who has uh, had a mm-hmm. long career prior to this point, and then Steve Johnson, who was a recent All Star from the Portland Trailblazers, uh, another center who was on that list. Um, but other than that, they were relatively, you know, middle of the pack kind of guys, just kind of end of bench guys. Um, some of them are rotation guys, but there was not like anybody there that you were going to be like, oh, well, this is the guy to build it. So I think the the Wolves' approach here was was wise, you know, that knowing that you're probably going to get, you know, five or six guys you hope to play. They ended up with only four guys that ended up making the roster, but and then filling that out with rookies or other free agents, right? Was so you're not just going putting all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Yeah, and even though the NBA had instituted fines up to $250,000 to protect these lists from being leaked. Um, some names do actually start to leak out. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, Del Negro earlier, the the Kings chose to actually keep him in their top eight. So they, they made Brad Lowhouse available. Uh, Otis Smith was made available by Golden State. Uh, and then a bunch of players that didn't really end up becoming anything, Jerry Reynolds and Russ, uh, Russ Schoen from Seattle, Jay Vincent from San Antonio, Quentin Daly from the Clippers, just nobody that you were really made a difference in the league or made their mark. Um, but some actually name, names that actually got leaked, which was kind of interesting with the the big finds that were available out there if anybody leaked. So it was getting closer here. Still nobody out there that anybody's expecting to be significantly uh, available at the time. And once again, the, the Pistons and Lakers hadn't turned in their list. So the Rick Mahorn pick definitely hasn't been leaked yet. And Nobody even knows that he's going to be made available, and I'm sure the Pistons were taking a calculated risk uh, at the time. But, um, but yeah, still, still, kind of inching up here, and now it's it's time for the expansion draft. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, there's going to be a, the the coin flip. Orlando won the coin flip, and they actually chose to select first in the expansion draft rather than the, having the first rookie pick, which suited the Wolves just fine, as they had been quoted, like I said, all the way back to March for wanting that first uh, rookie draft pick. So. All right, Chad, you ready to walk through the, the expansion draft picks here? Let's do it. All right. So, as I mentioned, Orlando gets the first pick, and multiple reports came out after this that the the Wolves were tickled pink, that uh, Orlando took this player first, but they go with Sidney Green from the New York Knicks. He, uh, he was a backup to Ewing and um, Charles Oakley at the time. He was a good rebounder, and that's really the main reason why Orlando wanted him, but... Uh, not 
particularly young, not particularly productive. It was kind of a, a weird mix of players, especially with a, he kind of had a, a higher salary at the time um, of $800,000, which as we talked about was, it was going to be a little bit restrictive in terms of roster building. And the Knicks thought that that would be high enough that it would uh, convince both teams to kind of avoid him. But instead, Orlando jumps on him right away. They go first pick, Sidney Green. And and this is an era where the big man was a lot more crucial to a team in today's game, right? Where big men are, I mean, like James Wiseman was, you know, talked about not even being worthy of a second pick. Whereas if if this was the... 1989 draft Mm -hmm. he would have been a surefire number one because a big man was always everybody wanted the big man so i mean i don't don't know a ton about sydney green but i think it was uh, it makes sense that they were going to try to get a big guy because you're not going to get a big man at 10 or 11 as we already talked about as per uh, muscleman's comments in the rookie draft so you're going to try to fill out your your big man spot here so sydney green you know is is as good as any, I guess, at this spot. Yeah, and it seemed to be the thinking from both teams. And I mean, multiple quotes just saying that you got to, at this time, teams still want to build through their centers. They still want to have a franchise big man. And it was funny because there was an article saying that Musselman was trying to learn from Don Nelson at the time, and they were kind of connected. And the reason was because Don Nelson was going away from having a traditional center and playing without one on the floor and there were rumors that the league was going to change forever to move away from the traditional center because of what Don Nelson was doing in Golden State. And <laughs> it was reading almost exactly like a 2019 article about the Houston Rockets. Sure. It's just it's, it's kind of cyclical on how this whole thing happens. And, of course, Don Nelson was ahead of his time, and the offenses that he ran were completely different. But but, you but all, it is yeah, cyclical, too. We're going to go back to an era here you know, in the NBA at some point where the big man's going to be super crucial again. I just know it's just the way that the NBA is or the way any sport is. It's, you're, you know, you you see these cycles throughout history where it goes to from bigs to guards, from guards to bigs, you know, yeah. and you're going to see it again, I'm sure. I mean, and then it's always a copycat league. I mean, even it in is. the last 12 months, there's been a gigantic shift having had seen the Lakers succeed last year with LeBron and Davis and Kuzma and Dwight Howard winning the championship last year. Now, I mean, you walk through the Western Conference in what is supposed to be the era of the guard or the era of the wing, and two out of every three teams have significant size power forwards playing next to significant size centers. There's just a lot of size in the league again. And, which, and even Golden State, you know, they're, yeah. they end up taking Wiseman, who completely changes their front court. So now, you know, they're even different, right? So, right. you know, it's, yeah, it's... If the Lakers win again, or one of these other teams with, with lots of bigs wins the championship this year, you're going to see even more of it next year. So it's it's uh, the more we change, the more we stay the same. Yeah. So all right, the Wolves are up with their first pick in the expansion draft, and as we've alluded to a few times here, it's surprising that Rick Mahorn of the world champion Detroit Pistons was left unprotected, and this wasn't something that anybody expected. I think they were also taking a risk with his salary. I think it was about $600,000 that nobody would take him, that they wouldn't try to steal a player from a championship team down to an expansion team due to possible chemistry issues or uh, unhappiness. Um, but they were wrong because the Timberwolves saw Rick Mahorn sitting out there as the, the starting power forward for the NBA champion Detroit Pistons, and they decided this has got to be our first player. And just like the Magic, they wanted to go big. 
They they go with they tab Mahorn for that first pick, and Detroit tried to make a few trade offers. Um, they offered uh, a, their first round pick and Michael Williams to Minnesota for them to not take Mahorn. Um, they also tried to work out a three team deal where Minnesota would get the seventh pick in the draft. And Indiana would get the 10th pick from Minnesota and Michael Williams from Detroit. And then Detroit would just get to keep Mahorn. Um, so it they were doing whatever they could, but they only had a couple days after they won the championship to actually work out um, a deal here. And Minnesota felt that either they could keep Mahorn or they could find a better deal from another team further down the road later in the offseason. So um, they saw Mahorn out there and they just they jumped on it, Chad. And rightfully so. That's the, by far the biggest name on this expansion mm-hmm. list and he was a, a pretty important piece to that Detroit team at, at up to that point I mean there it was a team full of bigs that were really good um, but yeah you could uh, there was probably 25 teams that'd be falling over themselves at that point to get Rick Mahorn yeah I mean I, I, I misspoke earlier his, his salary is actually 500,000 but he was signed for the next two years um, but some of the risks at the time were that he had had chronic back problems he had had back surgery the year before um, he had averaged 7.3 points and 6.9 rebounds that, that that season so not a player that was really standing out in terms of his numbers every single night um he was more no, of a, he was more of a personality at, yeah yeah if you're just looking at the stat sheet you're not going to see the true value that a rick mohan brought i mean it, he was one of those guys that had the respect of all the teams i mean and that you could see it by all the trade offers that we were received after we selected them when it was clear he was going to refuse to report to the Wolves, you know we had offers from Philadelphia, the Lakers. The Lakers, in fact, were willing to give up their number one choice in 1990, their number one choice in '92, and a second round pick in '92, um, as well as a journeyman player, mm-hmm. Mark McNamara, all for Rick Mahorn, which was the the Wolves inexplicably turned down for whatever reason. Um, especially when you know the guy doesn't want to be here, and and you're you know. You're already upset. You're not going to get an, a high enough pick in the rookie draft. So you're, here, here's a team willing to offer you their next two number one choices, and yeah. you turn it down for a guy that doesn't want to play there anyways. But to the point, Rick Mahorn was a guy that teams, you know, you watch him play, you can see the value he brings. He was a tough nose, physical player. Um, yeah, his stats weren't eye popping by any stretch, but. He, his production on court was much more than just what you see, see in that box score. Yeah, he actually led the NBA in fines uh, that season at eleven thousand dollars. So it uh, wasn't a high number, but in comparison to the rest of the league, he uh, he, he had a reputation. So um, he was the personality of that team when he was. They actually had the the championship parade the exact same day as the expansion draft, and during the parade, he, he stood out in front of the crowd and said, "I'm the baddest boy you've ever seen." And then, uh, <laughs> which sounds kind of corny, but except for the fact that they were called the bad boys. But, um, but yeah, they finished the parade, and the, the team actually got called into the locker room for an impromptu meeting to inform them that Mahorn had been selected by Minnesota. So none of them had any idea it was coming until after the, the championship parade, and it, it went from jubilation for Mahorn to what was described as lots of tears over many phone calls with his mom and with his, with his teammates and whatnot. So, uh, and you get it. I mean, yeah. they're basically a dynasty. They're a super close group of guys. You know, even if you just watched the uh, the Chicago Bulls documentary, you could see how close those guys were when they talked about Dennis Rodman and, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for him to get snatched off of that roster and thrown onto an expansion team in the tundra, <laughs> I mean, I you know, 
I hate it when guys hold out and refuse to go someplace that they've been trade to and all that in all sports, but put yourself in his shoes, I'd be pretty upset as well. Yeah, especially, I mean, when he was set to lose a bunch of money and probably in endorsements from being within a championship team, and then the fact that he had bonuses worked into his contract and then even just playoff bonuses of having reached, when teams reach certain rounds in the playoffs, the teams get, the players get a bonus. So Right. He was, I'm sure, yeah. I, I didn't look into it, he probably took less salary because of that too to stay with Detroit when his last deal was up just because he wanted to be part A, of a team that was winning and competing for titles every year, and B, to your point, the the playoff bonuses back then mm-hmm. counted for a lot higher percentage of their salaries than they do today. Yeah, I'm sure he would have been much happier with the 500000 for two years, um, or each year for two years in Detroit than he would have been in Minnesota. Because right. once he showed up in Minnesota, he, he got over the, the fact that he had been selected by an expansion team. But um, as we'll, we'll talk about in the future, it, it started to turn sour really quickly as he demanded a new contract. But um, so, but at the time, everybody is everybody at least on the Wolf side is jubilant that Rick Mahorn was their first pick. They thought they were getting a real veteran coming in to to kind of start at that power forward position uh, and really lock this team down in terms of actually having a, a personality to start from day one. But so each team has one player. Um, Orlando steps in. They select Reggie Theus, as we mentioned a few times before. Reggie Theus from the uh, infamous Kurt Rambis coaching coaching staff. Theus, Bill Lambeer. Uh, and, that, and that crew came in and tried to just have as many uh, former players as possible sitting on the sideline to work with the, the different parts of the team. And that worked out so well because that was such an amazing roster that they put together and the, the, the quality that turned out because of it. But um, at the time, Reggie Theus was a good scorer. Um, and I think that was kind of what set Orlando's team apart after this expansion draft. You know, a few people were asked if, if these two teams had to play right now, who would win? And they... Orlando was chosen just because they had they had the scorers on their roster to actually um, win a game, but um, but yeah, Reggie Theus was a big part of that. Yeah, and I mean he's next to Mahorn, probably the biggest name on this list, at mm-hmm. least that I remember. You know, obviously he's he's worked as on uh, on air after his career and stuff as well, so he's his name's never really gone away even after his playing days. Did you ever watch Hang Time, like the kids show yes. that he was the coach on? Yep. Yeah, I do. That that was one of the ones I was remembering. And he was like, there was another one, sort of like the Ahmad Rashad one um, that was on Saturday morning. Inside Stuff, was, yeah. Inside Stuff, yeah. There was another show like that that Reggie Theus was also the host of. So um, yeah, he was I, on TV quite a bit. Yeah, I remember Inside Stuff, Saturday morning. It was my favorite show. I remember elementary, elementary school, you had your yearbook. Like, what's your favorite TV show? And I was like, NBA Inside Stuff. You know, it was yeah. like the lamest response, but... But yeah, it's always be trying to figure out like what's the what's the other basketball like thing playing on, on TV, and it, there are no good options besides hang time with Reggie Theus, and be like, yeah, oh, so so awful. But or or hanging with Mr. Cooper, cause... right? Yeah, <laughs> play basketball too. But uh, so yeah, Reggie Theus goes third. The, the Wolves are back up, and uh, they select Tyrone Corbin from Phoenix. He'd been in the league for four years at the, at, the, at that point. Um, He's a probably a small forward, you know, shooting guard, small forward, but most likely a small forward due to his size. Um, and he had actually led Phoenix in offensive rebound rebounding from that small forward spot. So another guy that the Wolves liked as kind of a role player who was able to step up into a, into a bigger uh, spot for a, a team. And a good solid player. I mean, he had a good career, fifteen years in the NBA. Um, he was, you know, he's not your star player, but he's a definitely a starter on an expansion team. Um, but, uh, I mean, even on a very good team, he would have a role off the bench, um, which he proved out. I mean, he played on those, some of those Utah teams that were really competitive. Um, 
later in his career, but he, you know, was like a average, like seven, seven and a half rebounds a game for the Wolves, two steals that first season. So he, he was a productive player for us. Yeah. I mean, with that, uh, with that Corbin pick, it was actually interesting. I found a note saying that Phoenix had offered a first and second round pick if the Wolves had been willing to take Steve Kerr instead of Tyrone Corbin. So, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, not a, not something that would have been franchise changing because Steve Kerr was as well known as he is. It was never for being a, a franchise player. It was more of a, a tertiary player around Michael Jordan, but definitely just an interesting name to pop up as well as the potential of having gotten, you know, a first and second round pick out of that uh, expansion draft, which as much as, as well, or as good as Tyrone Corbin played for the Timberwolves and as much as we still remember him, any chance to have added future picks back at that time would have been a, an interesting move to to make. So it doesn't appear that the wolves or any team back then valued picks as much as they do today. Yeah. You know, there's lots of offers that we turned down for multiple picks for guys like the Rick Mahorn, mm-hmm. two first round picks or, you know, or the Ty Corbin slash Steve Kerr. Absolutely. So the wolves at this point, you're starting to, see they're very going front court heavy both teams kind of are um because the the orlando comes back and they sick terry catledge another big forward at uh, the fifth pick Um, he comes out of washington he'd also been in the league for four years um but he was with the team from 89 to 93 Um, so he actually stuck around with orlando for for a few years there but uh, not a player i know a lot about but definitely a name yeah i don't know much about him at all either uh, you know, other than mm-hmm. his size and <laughs> right. So Minnesota, speaking of size, is excited to come back and round out their front court at this point because they select Steve Johnson um, from Portland. Uh, and they're after the expansion draft, they were just all over the fact that they got you know their small forward, power forward, and center in the first three picks, and they just couldn't have been more related with how this expansion draft fell fell for them. Yeah, they got a, a champion in Mahorn, and then they get an, their first All Star in Steve Johnson, who you know played for the Trailblazers. He was. Um, sort of envisioned to be part of their front court with Sam Bowie, who, you know, his career was sidetracked by injuries. Um, and Johnson was going to be six foot ten center, but he was going to be playing power forward next to Sam. And after Sam broke his leg, he was he became the starting center for them. Had his best year as a pro there. He averaged 17 points a game. Um, that following year, Sam Bowie bro- broke his leg again. And then Johnson became the starting center until he also started getting hurt. And then Kevin Duckworth, got inserted into the starting lineup and played so well that Johnson never got a spot back, but he did make the all-star game that year. However, he didn't play because he was injured. So that is probably why Portland left him available was because Duckworth sort of emerged as their new starting center. They weren't, you know, they had so many bigs there. Um, they were going to leave them exposed, but another, another guy who the wolves would get who looked like they were going to be the front court of the future, but turned out later to be unhappy being, Selected by the Wolves. Right. Okay, so the the Wolves have St- add Steve Johnson. They've got their front court of the future, or so they think. Orlando comes back. They select Sam Vincent, a guard from Chicago. Uh, the Wolves then turn around add Brad Lowhouse from the Sacramento Kings. He's the, the player that they left on uh, available so they could protect Vinny Del Negro. So I remember Brad Lowhouse. He was kind of one of the first in the string of kind of goofy white guys that the Wolves tried to trot out there as, as center. Well, I think to be fair, in 1989, 1990, all the white guys looked goofy. Yeah. yeah the short shorts, the goofy haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> I did have the uh, inaugural Timberwolves basketball card set, and I remember the Brad Lowhouse card really well uh, uh, in the in the little folder that 
they came in. Yeah, I'm just trying to look at the poster right here be- behind me, trying to figure out which one is Low House. It's got kind of the uh, if you if you see any of the old school pictures of Jim Peterson when during the current Wolves games, oh similar yeah, haircut. yeah, sure, Sim- there very he is. similar haircuts. Yep. <laughs> yeah, number fifty four, the big guy right in the middle. And he didn't last long with us either. You know, he he ended up being traded later that first season in mm-hmm. January, January fourth, nineteen ninety two, Milwaukee for the guy we talked about earlier, Randy Brewer. So Law was sort of a, a Just temporary a placeholder for a, he's a he, old he, Minnesota he a guy. Play- he was our placeholder goofy white guy. <laughs> Congratulations, Brad. <laughs> We're going to trade you for a bigger goofy white guy. Perfect. All right. Otis Smith, who uh, I think comes back in a, a front office role later, is selected by Orlando next. Tim Burrell selects David Rivers from the Los Angeles Lakers. You'd think somebody that had been playing on a championship or championship contending team the previous year would be somebody that I'd remember, but I have no idea who David Rivers is, and I don't remember anything about him. Nor do I, and he never played for the Wolves, so... Perfect. <laughs> All right. Next. So the Wolves select David Rivers at 10, who was a guard, uh, and probably the only miss that is clear out of this whole this whole expansion draft is the fact that Scott Skiles went 11th to Orlando, and I don't think he was as big of a name at the time coming out of Indiana, um, but he, actually, he, come, you know, he played for Orlando for a long time. He set the NBA record of assists with 30 in a game. Um, he actually made, you know, he's one of the few names that you still recognize off this list if you're just a casual NBA fan. So, yeah, and part, partly because he was on NBA Jam, uh, <laughs> but but also because he was a really good player. And I would have really been interested to see what he would have done with his team because his personality and later his coaching style remind me a lot of Bill Musselman. Like I could see that that could have been his yeah. general on the court because they were both tough nose kind of. You bullish guys. Yeah, that would have been probably a pretty good fit, especially with his ability to play, you know, kind of that pure point position, which is what they were looking for, as we'll, you know, as we will find out when we get up to the rookie draft here. But they really wanted somebody that was going to be a facilitator, a playmaker. Um, so surprised that they didn't go with Skiles a little bit earlier, especially, you know, against some of these other guys who either didn't make the team or didn't play for them for more than half a season. But uh, after that point, it kind of gets to. It kind of gets ugly here, Chad. Um, Skiles went 11th, and then the, the next picks are Mark Davis to the Timberwolves from the Bucks, Jerry Reynolds to the Magic from the Supersonics, Scott Roth to the Wolves from the Spurs, uh, Mark Akers to, Mad, to the Magic from Boston, Shelton Jones, Morton Wiley, Eric White, Jim Farmer, Maurice Martin, Keith Lee, Gunther, Benke, and Frank Johnson. So, yeah, the only somewhat notable guys on that list scott roth was the last of the guys that we drafted in this expansion draft that actually played for us at, at any stretch but again didn't wasn't anything significant he played 15 minutes a game averaged 6.8 points 1.5 rebounds um but you know wasn't a wasn't a long-term wolf only played that one season and then gunther benke from germany like that was one of the euro guys that had already made the transition to the nba and Technically, I don't think he played yet, correct? He was uh, somebody that Cleveland drafted, but he hadn't come over mm-hmm. from Germany. So we sort of drafted him, and it was probably another one of those Lottie D-Bucks type situations where the Wolves just sort of gave up trying to get him to actually hit our shores and play in the NBA. Yep, and Mark Davis, the the number 12 overall pick, he was actually selected um, from Milwaukee because they had given the Timberwolves a, a second-round pick uh, to not select somebody else on the roster. That's the roster for the Timberwolves coming out of the expansion draft. It looks like this. Rick Mahorn, 
Tyrone Corbin, Steve Johnson, Brad Lowhouse, David Rivers, Mark Davis, Scott Roth, Shelton Jones, Eric White, Maurice Martin, and Gunther Binky. Timberwolves have one less player than Orlando does because there are only 23 other teams available to take players from this expansion draft, but uh, they got the rookie draft coming up to fill those other spots, Chad. Yeah, and Orlando got one extra pick. I'm not sure what the, the rationale there was. There was 23 picks. They got 12. The Timberwolves got 11 picks. Um, Orlando definitely made the most of their picks. They got nine of those guys made their, their roster, whereas the, the Wolves only had four of those guys um, making their roster. But as you noted earlier in the podcast, um, Musselman sort of tipped his hand saying he was hoping for four or five guys mm-hmm. to actually make the team. So it's hard to to weigh who who did better here. I mean, obviously Rick Mahorn would have made the team had he, you know, agreed to play and we didn't trade him. Um, but the the Wolves kind of ended up where Musselman hoped they would end up with with four or five players that were going to make their active roster. Yeah, you know, in this whole time. The Wolves are also looking for players, you know, on free agents sitting out there. So they had had a, you know, two separate uh, free agent tryout camps throughout the summer, trying to find different talent. It was by invitation only, of course. It wasn't just a uh, a Mark Wahlberg situation where they could show up and play <laughs> for the Eagles. But um, but they had they had guys who had been playing overseas in Europe or playing in the CBA, trying to figure out exactly where where some other talent might be and guys that could end up making this team. Uh, one of the bigger names was Steve. L- Lingenfilter? I don't know Steve Lingenfilter, but apparently he was a Minnesota boy who had played for uh, the Gophers and then went over to Europe for for about seven years. And he was the big name coming to that first camp. That a lot of people thought that he actually have a real chance to make the team. But once again, that's more of a, a one-of-us situation where right. they, they had a, a former Gopher that they wanted to um, be on the team. But lots of other names that got bandied about for players who were supposed to be uh, recognizable at the time. Um Dan Palombizio, Jim Thomas, Mark Wade, Jim Lampley, Ricky Wilson, it, you know, just and the list goes on and on. Um, two of the names that that were mentioned, one was actually along with the others, was Rick Carlisle. So he was in for the the tryout there. Um, didn't end up making a huge name for himself as a player, but obviously as a coach has been become a huge presence in the league just with his reputation uh, down in Dallas now. Um, and then in the others attending. Uh, section for this first tryout camp was was Sam Mitchell, who had played with uh, Bill Musselman in the CBA and been in Germany for the previous season. So uh, at the time, not expected to really even have a chance, even amongst these other tryout players. But uh, he ended up, you know, kind of leading the scrimmages and scoring. He really stood out, and he was one of the one of thirteen players who got a call back to the second tryout uh, camp. Um, and then by the time that that one finished, it was only Sam Mitchell, and then. Todd Murphy, who had also played with uh, Musselman in Albany, um, who were looking to get actual real training camp invites out of these tryout camps. So, uh, like you said, they're they're all over the place. They're looking for for different players in different areas, trying to find the the right fits, the right talent to to go with their scheme and try to figure out exactly how to play professional basketball because they're all new to this. Yeah, and and Sam Mitchell, he had a good career, so it's kind of interesting to see that his journey to the NBA, you know, start off with not a lot of hope. I mean, maybe from him it was, but from the outside looking in, you're looking at, well, you're just trying, going to an open tryout or not an open tryout, invite only tryout for an expansion team. And that's, that's how you're going to latch onto the NBA. And then ultimately end up having a pretty long career and then become a coach and head coach. And I mean, he's, 
he, he did well there. Yeah, I mean, out of all the players we're going to talk about today, from from this point forward, from the 89 season forward, it's hard to say that anybody had a better career than Sam Mitchell. Yeah, you're talking even in the rookie draft? I, I, know, I mean, yeah. rookie draft from either the Timberwolves or the, or the Magic. Sure. But, but especially yeah. the Timberwolves roster. Doug West, I think, had a really good career for, you know, from, our, from the rookie draft. Mm-hmm. He played played forever. He, you know, won a slam dunk title. He had a number of high-scoring seasons. Are you um, sure so about I, that? Of Doug West? Slam dunk title? Or in, not title. Sorry, he was in the slam dunk okay. competition. I was going to say, I do yeah, yeah. not recall slam, Doug West winning no. the slam dunk championship. I was a homer. In my mind, I remember it as him winning, but I know he was in it. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to watch it right now. I'm going to watch his uh, 92 slam dunk uh, dunk. I've got It's a minute 18. <laughs> Ooh, rock the cradle with the reverse jam. All right. Much props, Doug West. Good work. All right. So, so yeah, they, they bring in a couple guys from those. Those tryout camps. We've got the expansion draft. At this point, they've got about 13 players. Um, still not enough for a, a training camp roster, but hopefully the Wolves are heading into the period here where they're going to put on the, the most important piece of their future. June 27th, they have their first overall draft pick. Um, and as we mentioned, they now have two second-round picks, their own in Milwaukee's, from having made that expansion selection. So they got three picks in the upcoming draft. And uh, Chad, I think there were some players available at the time, but... Uh, who who looked interesting to you in, in looking back on this? You know, I didn't watch a ton of college basketball at that time, but, I you know, you'd watch the tournaments and stuff. So um, Danny Ferry was a guy because he played for Duke and he got a lot of TV time. But Duke's Tim Hardaway was, yeah, Tim Hardaway was definitely the guy I was excited about. And I think maybe because it was probably the guy I was able to read the most about in the Star Tribune because it was probably the, the one that the writers mm-hmm. assumed the Timberwolves would probably take knowing that they still didn't have a point guard on that roster yet. Um, so it's, Tim Hardaway was a big one. Uh, other than that, on that list, I, I, I knew nothing about Purvis Ellison as a 10-year-old or however old right. I was, yeah. a 12-year-old. So I, I know he went first, but I didn't know anything about him. Um, I did like Glenn Rice a lot. It, it was all guys that played close to home, right? <laughs> big 10 guys. Or guys that had a lot of TV. It's all we had access time. to at the time. Absolutely, exactly. Yep. You didn't have cable and stuff, so um, I didn't know. After the draft, I got excited about other guys. Like I was a big Dana Barrels guy for some reason as a kid. Well, he was in the dunk contest too. Yeah. Well, even before the dunk, like as a rookie, sure. I was like, I just, I, I saw him in one game probably against the Wolves, and I'm like, this guy, this guy looks like he's got it. Um, so that didn't pan out too well for me, but. Yeah, the the guys were Glenn Rice was the big name, Tim Hardaway is a big name, mm-hmm. and Danny Ferry. Those are those are sort of the three big names I remember from that draft. I don't know how much do you remember from that draft? I mean, fr- live, I don't remember anything from that draft. Like I, I don't, I, yeah, and I don't yeah. even know if it was televised. I know I didn't get to watch it. I'm just yeah, kind of talking about newspaper articles and like you know the yeah. small. I mean, the Wolves got very little coverage in the sports page in those days either. Uh, you know, at least leading up to the draft. I'm sure the draft day they had a the front page and whatever, but going leading up to the draft, you might get like a, you know, yeah, there was a small, there were like four small blurbs. That was about it. Yeah. Right. You know, so much more about the actual expansion draft than there was about the rookie draft at the time. And, um, I mean, you mentioned you were 10, 12 years old. I was in June of 1989. I was five years old, you know? So I, I was looking forward to it because my dad was talking about it. My, I think my grandparents had already signed up to have 
season tickets, so they were looking forward to it. But all I knew was that we got Pooh, and I, we had a guy with a cool name, and Pooh was the way to go, and Pooh was my favorite player that first season. I'd get, I'd get to go and sit behind the basket, and but I was more enamored with Crunch at the time than I was with Pooh, even. So um, it's hard. It be. Yeah, right. It's it's hard as a kid to really uh, have too many memories, you know, qualifying memories of these players. But looking back well, on it, there are definitely some names in there that I would be absolutely interested now because they became a much more a much larger part of my basketball world later you know five six seven years later so sure being that that was the start of my real like rose-colored glasses homerism because mm-hmm. i remember going into that draft i wanted tim hardaway we come out of that draft of poo richardson and immediately i was convinced he was the better player yeah <laughs> because we got him you know like and i would i mean i couldn't get enough poo richardson news you know up between the draft and the actual start of the season i was reading everything every time there was any blurb about him i remember we went to the state fair that year and i remember i don't i, I don't I, I don't know if he was there we i definitely didn't see him if he was there but there was like a wolves booth and they had like they're handing out like the little black and white car or photos of them and um all that kind of stuff so i was it was poo mania at, at the cox household i mean you talk about rose colored glasses you're talking to the guy who wrote an article about why it totally made sense that the wolves took johnny flynn in 2009 so <laughs> I, I i've been able to make anything look rosy for the few weeks after an nba draft for 30 years now so it's a it's a habit of ours it, it's hard to go and then to remember back like who did I want in that draft? Because I came away with it wanting Pooh Richardson, mm-hmm. but that's not like I have to try to remember. I mean, and that's the case with most drafts in this franchise. Unfortunately, I can't, I can't stay objective with my own team. <laughs> yeah, you know. So the top six in the draft end up being like everybody expects. It's at least maybe not in the specific order, but at least in terms of the names. It's it's Purvis Allison going number one to Sacramento. Danny Ferry number two to the Clippers. Sean Elliott goes to the Spurs, which I think worked out really well for him. Glenn Rice, obviously, to Miami. He ended up becoming a great player. Uh, J.R. Reed, who earlier had not been listed in the top five, but that's because he was an underclassman. Um, he goes to Charlotte uh, at number five. And then Stacey King, who, for some unknown reason, was a huge prospect coming into the league uh, at number six. Yeah. So, I, another fu- for, future wolf. Yeah. Right, right. And... He is the, the the one I would say even more so than Danny Ferry or Purvis Ellison. That's the most surprising. J.R. Reed had his moments. He had a couple of really good years. Yep. Um, Glenn Rice obviously was a good player. Sean Elliott was a, a good to great player in, t- in terms of what their roles were. Yeah. Um, you know, Danny Ferry is still around because he's you know held front office mm-hmm. positions and stuff in in the league. Purvis Ellison, I don't know what happened to that guy. Yeah, I mean, he played for eleven years. Uh, yeah, but after his career, I mean, he's just. Yeah, he kind of disappeared, but yeah. At least in terms of uh, win shares on Basketball Reference, um, Glenn Rice easily—well, not easily—Glenn Rice leads the. I take it back. Glenn Rice came in second in win shares in this draft for their entire career. You want to take a, a shot at who came in first? Um, it's probably gonna be a surprise. I would guess Sean Elliott, but we already talked about him. Some based on what you're the way you're asking. Well, it's a player this we is, talked about earlier today. Oh. But you're talking the entire draft. Yes. So you get down to the to later picks. It's going to be probably Sean Kemp. It is Sean Kemp. Sean Kemp, eighty nine point five career win shares. Glenn Rice, eighty eight point seven. So um, Sean Kemp was such a beast. He He's was one of my all time favorite guys. I didn't have a Sean Kemp jersey, but I know when the NBA Jam came out for Sega Genesis, there would be fist fights, you know, with our friends over mm-hmm. who if they took C- Seattle before you got a chance to take him. On NBA Jam, so he was, 
My, my friend Alex and I used to play that, and we would oddly be San Antonio, and he would always be David Robinson and get all the rebounds, and I would be Dennis Rodman and just shoot threes from the corner, and was it was oddly successful. Lots of threes by Dennis Rodman, which shouldn't have made any sense at all, but it just worked for us for some reason. That team was popular in there because he had the blonde hair. Yep, yep. He was the only guy, so he looked different, you know, so everybody wanted to be the spur. But they had Sean Elliott on the NBA Jam, too. So you I'm sure they did, yeah. They actually had a three-point shooter. If right. he did. Nope, I had my three-point shooting uh, Dennis Rodman, which <laughs> you can't take it away from me. I'll have it forever. But, uh, yeah, so then Stacey King goes sixth to Chicago. Um, George McLeod, Randy White, and Tom Hammonds, who was another player that the Wolves were uh, rumored to have liked, go seven, eight, and nine. So the Wolves are up. And, and Tom Hammonds later became a Wolf, another guy. Right. That so, and up. probably would have been their pick if he had slid one more spot if if Washington had gone another direction. But um, the Wolves are up. Lots of rumors at this point that they're going to go with a point guard because not only... Um, are there no centers available, as we've mentioned, um, who are worthy of that pick? But uh, they also didn't really draft too many guards in the expansion draft, at least high enough to really rely on them. So they're looking at a point guard right here. The, the consensus is that they're probably either going to go with Mookie Blaylock or Tim Hardaway. That's what the recent writings had, had pointed to. Um, Tim Hardaway was uh, Musselman's favorite at the time. Mookie Blaylock was kind of the uh, the consensus top overall ranked point guard uh, in the draft. So um, they're, they're kind of the guys that people are looking to, but the Wolves, uh, go with a little bit of surprise, even though he had, he'd performed well uh, in Pooh Richardson out of UCLA. Yeah. I mean, Pooh was definitely part of the discussion. And, you know, even when I was doing some research here, his name always came up as well as one of the guys the, the Wolves might take depending on the way things fell. Um, but you know, a, a UCLA guy, so another guy that was on TV. I don't remember seeing a ton of UCLA games in, so I didn't, I hadn't seen him play mm-hmm. at that time. Um, but you know, I, I had a great college career. You know, was a first three-time first-team All-Conference selection, set all sorts of school records and assists and three-point right. field goal percentage, which was interesting because he didn't shoot a lot of threes once he got to the NBA level. Um, but he, you know, he was the guy. So they they, uh, they were sort of snookered by the Warriors because mm-hmm. Nelly sort of uh, told Musselman to avoid Tim Hardaway because Hardaway had some chronic knee issues. Musselman trusted Nelly. And so he, even though Tim Hardaway was his guy, a McKinney like Pooh, and because of those rumors, McKinney got his way and they selected Pooh over Timmy. Yeah, I mean, Pooh sticks around in the league for ten years. It's uh, it's not a bad career, um, but the only player in the top ten who had a worse win shares per forty eight minutes uh, ends up being Randy White, who ends up going to Dallas out of Louisiana Tech. And there was a White was quoted pre draft saying that he had talked with the Wolves and he was fairly certain that if he slid to ten, the Wolves would take him there. Um, so we we lucked out uh, on not getting Randy White. At least, so we we got Pooh Richardson instead. We got a, a point guard for the first few years of the franchise, but um, but he did he put up pretty good numbers. I mean, you know, some some of that wind share stuff. I mean, like that our organization was so awful um, that you know mm-hmm. it, it it it's it's tough there. But he, I mean, he was a I mean his second year in the league, averaging seventeen points and nine assists. I mean, today, like you know, we kind of talked about this before we got on air. 
by today's standards, he'd be an all-star. I mean, there's just not a lot of point guards that average nine assists anymore. Yeah. So it's it's kind of crazy how much the league's changed. Now, he wasn't Tim Hardaway. Tim Hardaway's second year, he was every 22.9 and 9.7 assists, plus 2.6 steals. He was shooting, you know, making 1.23s a game, whereas Pooh never averaged really more than a half a three a game. Yeah. Um, so different style players from that standpoint. Obviously, Tim Hardaway was just far and away the best the better one of those two well the best point guard in that draft but yeah the the road had a good career yeah i mean he did and 10 years in the league is nothing to to scoff at absolutely and the rose colored glasses articles coming out after the draft said that even though mookie and tim hardaway were ranked higher Pooh was the best pure point guard in the draft and he'd, he'd do really well for a team that needed somebody to kind of organize an offense so I don't know if that ended up being true. As you mentioned, Tim Hardaway ended up being pretty dang good. But um, Pooh, you know, they got credit for that Pooh pick. It wasn't panned. It wasn't uh, universally despised like some other picks in Wolves history. So, um, Well, and look at, you know, Purvis Ellison and Danny Ferry going one and two were much worse players in the NBA than Pooh Richardson. And they were the first two picks, you know. So um, I think Pooh... I mean, it's not a laughable draft compared to some of the other Wolves drafts. Right. I mean, Purvis only played 474 games. Pooh ends up playing 639. So he gets, you know, 50% more games in him in the league, which that right there gives you a, a head start in terms of the quality of pick. So, Sure. But the Wolves got their first overall pick ever, Pooh Richardson. Uh, some notable names that come up after after them in the first round. Nick Anderson goes immediately after to number eleven. We all know Nick Anderson from his missed free throws in the in the playoffs in the mid nineties, but he was a quali- definitely a quality player there um, for the Magic. Uh, that was their first overall pick as well um, in their franchise history. Mookie Blaylock, who we've discussed, goes number twelve to New Jersey. Tim Hardaway goes fourteen to Golden State. Dana Barros, uh, Chad's favorite player, goes to Seattle <laughs> at number 16. Seattle comes right back at number 17 with Sean Kemp out of Trinity Valley, Valley Community College. Um, probably the the pick of the draft right there in terms of value out of the draft position. B.J. Armstrong, uh, the starting point guard on, or sorry, the backup point guard on the first three Bulls championship teams goes number 18. Um, and then... That's really it until the second to last pick of the first round at number 26, the Lakers take uh, previously mentioned Vlade Divac. So um, some, some definitely some big names there, names that stuck around for a while, names that were all stars, uh, respected throughout the league and made it, made their impact. Um, so there was, there was some more potential there for the Wolves to get somebody, but in, as it is with every Wolves pick ever, you wonder what they would have turned into if the Wolves had taken them, especially as a fran- expansion franchise. Yeah, and then, you know, later Tim Hardaway and KG become buddies. And, you know, remember the Fun Police commercials. Mm-hmm. You know, we could have had, had I mean, who knows, we probably, maybe we don't take KG because everything changes if you take Tim Hardaway at, at this pick and then you know, the franchise isn't in position to get the fifth pick and take KG, you know, yeah. in, in a couple of years later. Um, but, you know, it, it's it, lots of things. You know, we talked last episode about some of the coaching. We could have had George Carl as a coach. We could have got Tim Hardaway as the point guard. I mean, there's so many things that you're just like, wow, if you could go back into a time machine. Uh, and obviously, if you go back in a time machine, you're taking Sean Kemp at number 10. <laughs> you're like, right, yeah. You're just getting that solved right away. But Right, right. George but, Carl and Sean Kemp in that first expansion year, you would have been set up for quite a while. Yep, exactly. So, But, yeah, um, kind of fun, fun to look at. But 
it's you know you you finally i mean they were building up who he was going to be the face of the franchise you know he was on all the little schedules you could get at the gas station all those things like he was the guy from day one the uh, marketing machine was all over Pooh richardson yep later tony campbell but Pooh richardson was the first the first one he was really the man so we're moving into the second round not a lot of big names here except for uh, the biggest name not drafted by the Wolves was obviously Clifford Robinson going to Portland. He played a, a significant role on some of their deep playoff runs um, over the next few years. Uh, Dino Raja. Who I was going to bring Boston. him up. I was yep. going to see how much you remembered. I was, I was a big fan of Dino Raja, absolutely. He was a big deal when he got picked because yep. that was the first you know, Euro guy after well, Lottie too. Uh, but that Yugoslavia team was a really good team. Um, you know, in the Olympics and, you know, the world games, all those kinds of things. And so both those guys were pretty well known, even to casual fans, just because people watch the Olympics and, and whatnot. But I remember Dino Raja being like everybody, like on the NBA um, show on Saturday mornings with Amar Rashad, Dino Raja, they did lots of player profiles. Or yeah. at least they did a player profile on him. And I remember they went, oh, we should have taken him. Why didn't we take him number 10? Because <laughs> <laughs> he looked like he was going to be a surefire star. Right. I don't know if it would have turned out any worse than Pooh. I mean, in terms of where this franchise has gone over the past three decades, but it wasn't, I don't know if 10 would have been the right pick for Dino Rocha, no. but yeah. But yeah, so the, 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 yeah, the, than him, but yeah, absolutely. So the Wolves have two picks in the second round. Uh, they have number 34 and they have number 38. 38 would have been theirs. 34 was the one they got from Milwaukee. So, with 34, they they start the trend of pre-season highly valued center falling to early second round that was later continued by guys like DeAndre Jordan and Bull Bull. And they, they go with Gary Leonard out of Missouri, who had been talked about for most of the season as a top 15 pick, but due to kind of immaturity issues, falls all the way to number 34 in Minnesota in the second round. So... Uh, didn't pay off the way DeAndre Jordan uh, ended up paying off, but he only played three years and 31 total games for in the NBA. But uh, at the time, it was looked at as possibly a, a kind of a swing for the fences move for a guy that had been talked about for most of the season as a, a potential uh, lottery center, um, lottery pick center, and just kind of fell out of the draft and was available there as a reclamation project. So um, unfortunately, it didn't work out, but that was, that was the way that we're going. Yeah, and I don't remember anything about him um which is funny you know mm-hmm. because i i remember the poo and, and doug west picks really well but i don't remember the gary leonard one at all so so and, yeah then the timbrels turn around at 38 and they make one of the best picks um in franchise history a second round pick they get doug west sticks around in the nba for 12 12 years um which is third uh, out of all picks in that second round um, behind and really Robinson one of the and better- chucky brown that's one of the better picks in the entire draft, considering where you take him. I mean, he, you know, obviously Clifford Robinson in the second round is the prize. He's he had a better career than Doug West, but nobody else there in the second round. And then even a lot of those guys in the first round, Doug West had a better career than. So, you know, a pretty good pick. Yeah, I mean, they, so they, like we talked about, they got pan, kind of panned after the expansion draft, saying that they didn't have any ball handlers, they didn't have any scorers. So they go out and they they add a lead point guard, a lead guard, and they had a, a scoring guard in Doug West. So they come out of the rookie draft and the expansion draft what, with what is estimated to be a Pooh Richardson, Doug West, 
Tyrone Corbin, Rick Mahorn, Steve Johnson starting lineup. And at this point, I don't know if it's going to be a playoff team, but they're actually getting a some pretty good respect, some some pretty good momentum heading into their first overall season. So it's they're not world beaters, but they've put together a roster that at the time was expected to be uh, actually pretty good, Chad. Yeah, better than Orlando's. You know, you look at Orlando's roster, I would take the Wolves roster over Orlando, even with Scott Skiles, Reggie Theus there. Um, you know, especially if those guys all ended up playing here, Rick Mahorn, um, in particular, mm-hmm. that, that, that's a much stronger roster, or at least starting five. So they made them some smart decisions at the beginning. Like we said, we, I don't know if Pooh was the right decision. Tim Hardaway absolutely would have been the, the best pick there. Um, if but not. it wasn't like whiffing on Johnny no. Flynn over Steph Curry kind of bad. You know, so like the Wolves becoming sort of the joke of the draft didn't start with their first draft. No, it didn't I start. I that's fair to say. Yep. So we've made it through. It's uh, the expansion draft and the rookie drafts are done. They've signed a couple of... Uh, off-season free agents here. Um, no NBA free agents yet, um, but uh, next time we'll come back, we'll take a look at what their training camp roster actually looks like, who gets added between the, the rookie draft and when the next season starts, and what some of the off-season storylines ended up being, where they're looking heading into their very first season ever. So um, we'll be back next week. Uh, we're going to take a look at how the actual 2020 Timberwolves are doing. I, I guess by the time we come back next week, Chad, it'll be the 2021 Minnesota Timberwolves. That's right. Hopefully it, uh, we got everybody back and healthy and we're on, we're on cruise control again. There we go. Undefeated <laughs> with Towns in the lineup. That's the goal for this season. That's right. So that either means that I've, I've gone as, crazy yeah, or Towns just than, misses the whole the rest of the season. Yeah, to say, as long as he plays more than two games, that's yeah. the goal. <laughs> okay. So yeah, we're gonna, we'll alternate. We'll be back for some, some uh, updated uh, current times episode stuff next week and then in two weeks we'll talk about the the off season the rest of the off season the training camp and the the preseason heading into the Timberwolves very first season ever so thanks for sticking with us uh we're looking forward to continuing down this path learning more about the the Timberwolves and their history and we'll be back thanks Chad yep looking forward to it take care man bye